coming up on Philosophy Talk. Cooperation and conflict. Say, Charlie Brown, I've got a football. How about practicing a few plays, kids? I'll hold the ball, and you come running and kick it. Oh, brother. Though cooperation is the key to human progress, conflict is part of the human condition. Oh, come on, Charlie Brown. No. Cooperation is best, but is cooperation rational? The best thing for me may not be the best thing for us. You just want me to come running up to kick that ball so you can pull it away and see me land flat on my back and kill myself. This time you can trust me. Is life a poker game or a community barn raising? This year I'm really going to kick that football. Cooperation and conflict. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. We continue conversations that begin on the Stanford campus at Philosopher's Corner. That's where the philosophy department is, and that's where Ken and I are professors of philosophy. And indeed, both of us chaired the department for a part of our careers. And today our conversation is about cooperation and conflict. Cooperation is found in, in many species of animals, Ken. Take dolphins, wolves, chimpanzees. They're all very successful hunters, and the reason they're successful hunters is because they're highly cooperative hunters. And you know, John, there's no doubt that human beings have taken the fine art of cooperation to levels that our animal friends can't begin to match. I mean, take money. It helps us coordinate an economic system cooperatively. The same applies to politics, education, and science. All of these things that humans do require complex forms of cooperation. Natural selection seems to have designed human beings to cooperate. It's the key to our survival. And you know, Ken, we need it more than ever. The 21st century is going to be quite a challenge in a lot of ways, and if humans don't cooperate on a massive scale, I think we'll just burn our poor little planet to a crisp. Uh, you know, John, unfortunately, I, I'm not optimistic that we're going to be able to pull off that level of cooperation. Uh, human beings cooperate, I admit that, but they also fight. I think there may be as much conflict among human beings as cooperation, if not more conflict than cooperation. Take the spheres in which we cooperate. We build these things like nations, which are complex, highly uh, highly uh, complex social realities that, that require lots of cooperation, but then what do we do? We engage in insanely destructive wars or take marriages, little local theaters of cooperation. We start out promising to love, honor, and formerly to obey, but then our marriages devolve into bitterly contested divorces. So what you're telling me is it's way too simple to say that humans are specifically designed for cooperation. You know, Ken, it's not all, uh, that's not all that surprising, really, isn't it? Because, I mean, actually... Just between you and I, cooperation is for suckers. Oh, John, why would you say a thing like that? Come on. Well, let me give you an example adapted from my favorite philosopher, David Hume. So imagine that you and I are farmers. I'm Duncan, you're Ethan. Each of us has a field to plow. Large field, much too much for one person to do on his own. And, and you know, the, the, the time is coming to get the crops in. We don't have forever. So, let's make a deal. Ethan, I'll help you plow your field tomorrow, 
if you help me plow my field today. That sounds like a good deal. Would you accept the offer? Should you rationally? Well, well, Duncan, that that depends. That that depends. I'd have to be pretty sure you'd follow through on your offer to help me once I helped you. And if I could be pretty sure, then it would make us a lot of sense to actually accept your offer. Ah, but there's the rub. Can Ethan really be sure that Duncan will follow through? I mean, if I'm Duncan and I'm purely self-interested, I'm not altruistic, maybe I even kind of don't like you that much, then it's not going to take long for it to dawn on me that in helping Ethan, after I've already got my field plowed, I'm not doing myself any good. Well, well, wait a minute. But on the other hand, if uh, Ethan is just can see, can just see in advance that uh, Duncan's just another self-interested SOB, then maybe he won't accept the offer. So look, and, and then what will happen? Neither of us will get our field plowed. And what good would that do anybody? So here's the lesson of that. You shouldn't be such a self-interested SOB, Duncan. You might think it's in your best interest, but it's not really in your de- best interest to be a self-interested SOB. Well, but, but, you know, it's not just being a self-interested SOB. It's not just selfishness. It's really rationality that's at the bottom here. When you're rational, what do you do? Well, you do whatever gives you the greatest benefit for the least cost. Once Ethan helped Duncan plow his field, Duncan should do a cost-benefit analysis. Helping Ethan tomorrow is a cost. Duncan's already got his field plowed, so there's no benefit. If Duncan is rational, he'll have to say, screw Ethan. Wait a minute. But by the same token, let Ethan be rational, too. And let Ethan realize that Duncan is rational. Well, then what's going to happen? It seems that Ethan rationally won't help Duncan plow his field today. Okay, so now we've worked ourselves into sort of a conundrum or a paradox here, Ken. Rationality and cooperation are supposed to be two hallmarks of being human. But how do they fit together? if cooperation always requires one of the parties to be an irrational sucker. Hume's farmer's dilemma, which we've been talking about, has been replaced in modern social science by something called the prisoner's dilemma. We ask our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Ash, to explain that dilemma and to look at it in real life, or at least in a reality show. She files this report. If you look closely, you can see the prisoner's dilemma playing out in our lives every day. In business partnerships, romantic relationships, and spectacularly in game shows. This is serious, life-changing money. Your jackpot today is 100,000, There's a British game show that's no longer on the air called Golden Balls. Players compete to win a pool of money. Then in the final round, with only two contestants left, each has to decide. Split or steal. They can split the pot of money, or they can steal the money. If they both split, each walks with 50,000 pounds, or about $80,000. If they both steal, each walks with nothing. But if one splits and one steals, the person who steals walks with the whole pot. In this case, more than $160,000. Stephen, I just hope they weren't puppy dog tears, and they were real tears, and you were genuinely going to split that money. I am going to split this. 50,000, it's unbelievable. This is where it gets good. Each contestant has to convince the other to cooperate or to split the money. Player one, a pretty young blonde woman, widens her eyes at player two, a chubby, balding man, and says, There was no way I could, I mean, everyone who knew me would just be disgusted if I stole. He takes her hand and promises to split the money. We're going on with 50 grand each. I promise you that. Split or steal. 
Stephen, the man, has decided to split. But Sarah, the woman, chose to steal, which means she gets all the money. You never know what's coming in this game. At this point, Stephen's head drops into his arms and he sobs. Sarah doesn't look all that happy either, especially for someone who just won $160,000. This isn't just a question of strategy, it's also a question of personal identity. Like, what kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be the kind of person that does or does not cooperate? Rob Willer is a sociologist at UC Berkeley. He says the prisoner's dilemma is used all the time by behavioral scientists and economists to study the way people cooperate. For example, there's the ultimatum game. It's played between two people who don't know each other. One player receives a certain amount of resources. It could be $10, $10,000, or a week's worth of food in a poor village. The value isn't important. You can divide it however you want, except there's a catch. The person you're dividing the resources with can nix the deal and assure both of you of making no money at all. So you have to be careful. You can't give too little, but you don't want to be a sucker and give too much. What do you do? Do you split the money evenly, or do you hope the other person is happy with just a small cut? I'd give him 50%. I'd rather have half than have nothing. I'd probably give him 40% and keep 60. I can't imagine the person mixing the deal if he's getting 50%. Now let's think about the reverse. What if you're not the person splitting the resources? You're on the receiving end, and you've just been offered a dollar. One measly dollar out of 20. I would take the dollar, because I don't see how it matters to me what they get, and I get a dollar, so. The most rational choice is to accept whatever you're offered. It's $1 more than you had before, right? But Willer says that kind of thinking can be bad for society. You can accept the dollar and you'll do better in the long run. But the idea is if we were a society full of people that always took the dollar, then it's pretty, we'll be um, allowing a lot of egoism and selfishness to proliferate unchecked. And if we don't have the enforcement of norms of egalitarianism and fair treatment, that maybe our world would, would look a lot worse than it does. In other words, if we were a society of people willing to fight for what's better for everyone, we might all think we're getting a better deal. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.